Good morning. My name's Victor France. Um, my wife Gabby and I have been members here for about four years. Um, I came to trust in Jesus in this church when I was really young, and he has been faithful and by my side ever since. I'm going to be reading Psalm uh, 137. It's printed in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would quiet our hearts this morning, um, that you would help us to trust in you for wisdom and understanding, um, and lean not on our own understanding. Make us more faithful followers of Jesus um, as we come to know and love him more. Um, be with Jake today, Lord, as he delivers a message. Help him to trust in you as well. Um, and I just pray that you would bless this time and help us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a privilege and an honor to be up here today to uh, be able to share with you guys. Uh, I have to say, this week has just been so edifying to me because so many of you have reached out to let me know you've been praying for me. I just want to thank you for that. It has really been a lot, and I know some of you haven't reached out and have been, and it's just a joy. So just thank you all, and just a reminder to be doing that for our pastors that preach regularly. I'm sure they would be edified by it as well. So <laughs> we're going to deal with the elephant in the room first, that last part of the passage, right? <laughs> We felt that one. It was a little shocking, isn't it? And it should be. It is supposed to be jarring to our minds and seeing it. But we're going to consider three points that help us get to there. The first one is a grievous situation. We need to understand what the Israelites were going through. Two, our homeward hope. Where are they looking? And then the third point will be God's just judgment. So we're going to start with a grievous situation. And it starts with, by the waters of Babylon. The first thing we notice there, they're not in Jerusalem. They're not where they're supposed to be. The scenery around them indicates that this is wrong. By the waters of Babylon, it's a plain. Israel, Jerusalem is a hill country. So we know just from what they're seeing around them, this isn't our home. We're in the wrong place. And then he says, on the willow there, the willow was not the tree of Jerusalem. That's the 
olive tree, the cedar. So in the grand scheme, on the plain, they understand they're not in their homeland. And then the small things, these little points that even the trees are wrong. And we notice these things when we're not in a place where we're used to. We pick up on just even the smallest details that are just unfamiliar to us. And this psalmist, we see in the end, Jerusalem was destroyed. Their children were thrown against rocks. And just being in this land means everything is wrong. And so he does what he has to, which is weep. Because to be a part and to be in this foreign land, they need to weep. And in the horror of this situation, what do the captives do? Their captors do. They demand they sing about that homeland they just destroyed. They demand that they be given joy and mirth in this situation. So while these Israelites look back and view their homeland and are weeping over it, their captors want them to sing about it. Not in worship, but so they can have joy over the fact that they destroyed it. That Babylon can look at what they did to Israel. So they can view themselves as greater than. And so the psalmist asks the question, how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How in this situation are we supposed to sing when to sing would be to invite sin, to invite mockery of God? They recognize that, that in order to sing in this situation would not glorify the Lord, but would in fact mock him. And it would be to sing in an unholy manner. And last week, we need to address this, we talked about singing in all circumstances. And to sing in Babylon would not be wrong. But to sing in this manner, we would say would be. And we have situations that we recognize that are like this all around. We see pride flags hanging outside of churches where they have rejected the truth of God's word. And what we know to be sin, they say, no, that's fine. To sing in those places would be to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. It would be to accept what we know to be wrong. Would it not? When we go to churches where they uphold, hey, if you just pray this prayer, God's going to bless you with money and wealth and health. And there's nothing to do with the inward change that should be wrought from Christ. We know that to sing the Lord's song there would be upholding something, truth, that we know is false because it's not true. And so to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land in order to mock him, in order to uphold the fact that our enemies were victorious, would be wrong because we know they're not victorious. Because we know that the Lord still reigns and that sin will be destroyed. So we cannot sing in those situations. We cannot sing in a circumstance like that. We understand that the culture we are in may not have destroyed our homeland. We know it hasn't. But we understand that there is a prince of the power of the air who is prowling like a roaring lion, attacking. When the church acquiesces to the culture and upholds immorality, we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. So we fight against it. Through the word, we fight against singing this song, the Lord's song, in the foreign land. So this psalm is telling us when not to sing. 
There are times we may go to conferences or concerts where they bring out a preacher who we never heard before, and then all of a sudden we realize and recognize, oh, that's not truth. What they're upholding is sinful and wrong. And in that point, it would be wrong for us to sing along with them. And even when other people are singing with them and doing this, we know we must hold fast to the truth of God's word. So we need to look at what the Babylonians were doing because the Babylonians thought they were victorious. They thought that they had defeated the Lord by defeating his people. We see that the people that are upholding sin in our culture are degrading truth. What they don't understand, what the Babylonians didn't recognize was they were actually an instrument in the Lord's plan. We see this in Deuteronomy 28. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. The troubling thing about the Israel situation is that it was happening because of their sin. That God told them in Deuteronomy 28 the blessings for obedience and the disobedience for curses. And in this case, this was a curse. That they knew by disobedience, this is where they would end up. So the Babylonians, thinking they were victorious over the Lord, no, this is what the Lord said would happen to his people if they were disobedient. So while the Babylonians were sitting there thinking themselves greater than the Lord, they were actually being used by him to discipline. But they went further. It wasn't just they took them out of their lands. They threw their children against the rocks. They utterly destroyed Jerusalem. They went further in their punishment. And this was a grievous situation. And so what does the psalmist do? He doesn't sing. They don't take down their lyres. What he does is he remembers. He remembers his homeward hope. He remembers Jerusalem. This was meant to be their holy city, a place they could worship freely and fully, that they could offer sacrifices to the Lord, the promised land that he has given them. This was their home. And the psalmist would not forget this. Brothers and sisters, do we not know this same feeling of not being in our homeland? We look to Philippians 3, 18 through 21. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are not citizens of the world. We are not like the Babylonians. We are citizens of heaven. And that is where our highest joy is, is it not? The highest joy for this person was to be back in his homeland, to be with the Lord 
to be in a place he could freely worship, a place they could offer the sacrifices for sin because they were here because of their sins and they needed to sacrifice. They wanted to be right with the Lord. They wanted to be with him and know him. And they longed for that day. And brothers and sisters, do we not long for that day as well? The day we will be with the Lord and be able to worship him face to face in glory to be able to praise him as we should, to worship him as we should. And even now, today, we have probably felt it. The sin all around us, that even as we worship, the sin in us and the need for Christ and the need to be glorified because we're not there yet. And we see in the culture the pride flags, the drunkenness, greed, immorality, it's everywhere. When I was on my way to Guatemala with the team, a gentleman two rows in front of us was watching a movie that glorified guns, violence, and, and one point, I had to physically turn away because there was just nudity on the screen. And that was in public. That was what the plane offered. There's no shame in our culture anymore for these sins. Do we not feel that? Every day that we enter into the world, we see around us all of this. And this morning, we just feel it. That longing, that desire to be with Christ, where sin will be no more. And that's what this psalmist is looking at, his home in Jerusalem, the place where this wickedness will be no more. We will have resurrected bodies. Not a lot of people realize this. It's been 14 years since I have not had a headache. Every day I wake up in pain. Every night there's pain. Guys, I cannot wait to worship the Lord in that resurrected body. It's going to be amazing. There are people in here who need to stretch their backs right now because they're feeling it a little bit. It's getting tight. There's a day you won't need to stretch your back. You'll be with the Lord and able to worship him fully. For those that experience the aging, where you're not the young person you used to be, there's going to be a day you will have that new body and you'll be able to worship the Lord the way he should be worshiped. Is that not the day we long for where we will be with him and able to glorify him Oh, that's going to be an amazing day, is it not, brothers and sisters? Amen. Are we not longing for it even now? That it's, oh, it was nice. It was great to worship here. I loved it. Oh, that day is going to be even greater, is it not? Oh, and it's important that as we look to that day, that we're reminded that we're still here on this earth and that we are called to live in the midst of those who hate and mock the Lord. That as we look to that days, we understand that this is not our home and that we are exiles. Hebrews 13, 14 tells us that we do not have a lasting city, but we seek a city yet to come. We understand this world's not the end. That while we are encouraged to participate in society and it's flourishing, we do so as exiles with our eyes always on Jerusalem, our home. And as we dwell in this foreign land, we look to 1 Peter 2, which reminds us to rid ourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. Like newborn infants, we desire the pure milk of the word so that we may grow up into our salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to the holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scriptures, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light. We look to that day where there will be no more darkness. The Lord will be with us as our light. But we understand that there is a lot of darkness around us. We are called to our true home, the new Jerusalem. And while we should never forget it, we know we do. We know the Israelites have. We heard a few months ago in Nehemiah how this group would become unequally yoked, marrying those that were not of the Israelite faith. And we feel it. We've conformed in certain areas of our life that while we uphold X, Y, and Z is wrong in the culture, we know that the LGBTQ agenda is wrong. We need to look for those areas that we, have may, we may have acquiesced to the culture, that we may have become like it, the areas we may have forgotten our homeland. Because while we are set apart from the culture, we are called to a holiness. This means it's radical. It's so much different than everything else around us. We are called to be like our God. And so we need to repent of these areas where we have allowed for ourselves to become like the Babylonians. And we know that we have a Savior that will welcome us back, who will give us grace for those areas, that as we repent and turn from them, He always has grace for us, does He not? And so we're reminded once again where our homeland is. And this is something that we can do for each other. Look around. Look at all the brothers and sisters in this room. We remind each other, this is not our home. Look to that day. Look to God who we will see face to face. How much more amazing will that day be? It's how we keep each other from sinning. It's what we do. Do it all the more. Encourage one another. Because what your hope is, is what those around you hope is. It's in that day. Because we've tasted the joy and we know what is coming. And so we rejoice in that day. Because it's going to be amazing. But we hold this in contrast. Because while we remember Jerusalem and set our highest joy above it, we look at verses 7 through 9. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem. How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Those in Christ will be judged, but we're going to be judged by having his righteousness. There are those who are not in Christ, and they will be judged. They do not have his righteousness. They will take the wrath, the wrath that Christians, we understand that he took for us on the cross. 
And so when we look to these verses, we understand that when they say, blessed shall he be who takes the little ones and dashes them against the rock, that that's justice. And that could be a hard word for us to hear because for whatever reason, we have pitted grace and justice against one another. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ, your wrath did not just disappear. It was paid for on the cross. Christ took that wrath for you. He served the just sentence for you. So when we look at this passage, we may feel a little squeamish about it. We don't like some of this language. But do we understand that that is what is just? That the penalty that God is issuing forth here is not wrong, but it's what's deserved and what's been earned. James Hamilton notes, one of life's ironies is the fact that while the description of the just consequences of rebellion provokes the most, excuse me, one of life's ironies is the fact that people have no qualms about high treason against the world's sovereign king. While the description of the just consequences and of rebellion provokes the most self-righteous expression of indignation. This passage, what should provoke the most outrage and disgust and anger should be the fact that a people were mocking the living God. They were mocking his people. They were demanding they could sing of the Lord's song in a foreign land so they could have joy at the fact that they defeated the people. That should be your outrage. That's where we should be upset. Because that's our God. He is holy and righteous. We just sang about who he is. And to see that people would use these songs to try to lessen his name, that should upset us. That's the part we should get angry about that people in the culture would take what God has called truth and desecrate it should make us mad. And we should demand justice for that. Because we know that justice there is right and good. Is it not? There is a penalty for sin and for what people have done. The psalmist cannot forget his homeland. And because he doesn't forget what heaven will be like and the absence of sin, he understands that he cannot forget the wickedness that has been done and is an affront to God. We should feel that way in the culture when we see things that are against God, things that are against his word. Because it's not like Christ. And if we're being made more like him, we will have the same sense of justice and rightness that he has. So when we look at this, we should be aligned and cry out that that is justice and that is good. And we know that the Lord will repay this. Jeremiah 51, 56 says, when a destroyer will come against Babylon, her warriors will be captured and their bows will be broken. For the Lord is a God of retribution. He will repay it in full. Does our God change? 
He's still a God of retribution. He's still a God who will repay it in full. For those that are in sin and mock God, they will be repaid for what they have done. The Babylonians who have captured this people and are demanding that they sing the Lord's song to torment and torture them after they have thrown their children against the rocks, they will have judgment and justice will be served. The Edomites, the people that came from Esau, who gleefully joined the Babylonians in their capture, who declared, lay it bare, lay it bare down to the foundation, will be judged, and it will be right. They have sinned and deserve the penalty of death. They mock God, and that should make us mad. Isaiah 13 goes on, an oracle concerning Babylon. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted. Their wives ravish. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians' pride, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord promises justice. And the Lord makes good on his promises, does he not? So we know that is coming. The Lord will do unto them as they have done to his people and to his name. Again, if we know Christ, for those of us that are in him, and we look to the cross, we recognize that this punishment for the Babylonians, we deserve that. We deserve that wrath of God that penalty. And then we look at the grace of God because it's unmerited favor, but it's not just a magic trick. Oh, look, your sins are now washed away and gone. It's he paid for them. He did that work for us. When we talk about the grace of God, you only earned wrath and destruction, but he still bared that penalty for you. He has made you new, and now you live in that newness of life. That wrath was still given. And I can't believe it was given to me, and I know there's a room full of people who it was also given to. That's amazing. And he offers it now even for all of us. But we have to recognize that as we look to that day where now we will be with him in newness of life, that there's a tension because there is a judgment coming. That that day we look for, where we will be with him in glory and see him face to face, will also be a day where many are judged and will not have Christ's righteousness. I recognize that in this room that many people come in with heavy hearts because there are people in their lives, that there are brothers and sisters we have, children, a spouse, co-workers, friends, don't know the Lord, who you've shared the gospel with, who you've prayed over, who you've wept over. And we understand that the day is coming where they will be judged. And that's hard. Because we know that that judgment is right and just. And because we know that their greatest joy and their greatest good, it should be the Lord. Because that's what we know. 
We've tasted, we know that goodness. And to not have them with us and to not have them know that is painful. Is it not? Do we not have people in our lives that we just weep over because we just want them to know God and know Christ and know the joy we have and know that salvation, and they don't? And so when we think about that day, we need to hold that tension. That while we look at it joyfully, we also recognize that that day will be a day of destruction and a day where many will not know him and be found apart from him. And we need to remember that we need to keep praying, we need to keep weeping over these people, and we need to keep sharing the gospel. Because we recognize that all of us on that day, if we are in Christ and we are with him, when Babylon is, thir- is thrown down, we see that happening in Revelation 18, 21, that what immediately follows in chapter 19 is a multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Translation, praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. We know that apart from Christ, we deserve that. And we know those people we love deserve that now too, unless they come to know him. And we will say hallelujah on that day, because his judgment is just and true. That doesn't mean it's not hard right now. And we feel that. What we should do in this situation is recognize that the Lord has not returned yet. I don't know if you couldn't tell. We're not in heaven yet. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? So we have a chance that those people can know the Lord. So continue to pray, continue to weep over them, and continue to evangelize. Make sure they know the truth of the gospel. Make sure that you are giving it to anyone in your life who you don't know if they know the Lord. The barista you see every once in a while, do they know the Lord? They're not, they do not exist to serve you. They may be giving you coffee, but they exist to praise and serve the Lord. And if you don't know them, then that $2 tip you give them, while generous, they need to know God. And are we prioritizing their soul over our coffee? Do we know the people that deliver our mail? Now that I've been working from home, I realize that he passes by around the same time every day. I can make a relationship there and give him the gospel instead of just waiting for him to hear the mailbox close and then run up after he's gone. That's rude because I'm not caring at all about his soul. I'm caring about what I get in the mail, which honestly, it usually goes right in the trash. I care more about trash than I do about his internal soul. That's wild. So when I'm telling you guys to evangelize, I'm not doing it as someone who has it down. I'm repenting and saying, I need to learn how to do this and to really prioritize the fact that the Lord can come back at any moment, that we know he's coming back like a thief in the night. And so with the time I have, I need to be sharing his word. And that whatever my greatest joy is, which is the Lord and knowing him, is what I want them to know. Because I want them to know that joy. Because there is a day coming they will be thrown against the rocks, that the Christ's righteous judgment will come.
I have a cousin who hates Christ. She hates anything to do with the church. Despises it. And I know that to give her the gospel means I will not be talking to her again. I could say, oh, well, I'm just going to love her by doing good works and letting her see my servant's heart and doing these things. But if I've never given her the gospel, I have not shown her love. But I have said, yeah, you're going to go to hell, and that's fine. But if I actually loved her, I'm going to count the cost and realize that I may not get to talk to her again. But I'll at least know she knows the gospel and she knows the truth and pray that a seed is planted and that one day someone may be able to come along and water it and that she may know Christ one day. But that's hard. Again, there's people in here, spouses, children. And we have to count the cost. What is it worth for them to know the Lord? And it may be that they don't know you anymore that they don't talk to you and they don't associate with you. And I don't pretend like this is going to be easy. It's not. It's going to be really hard and it's going to be very painful. But it's going to be much worse for them on that day if they do not know him. Second Peter 3.9 states, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay. This is the promise to come back but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. As long as we're here and recognize that he has not come back yet, there is an opportunity to share that they may know him and repent of their sins, to turn and recognize their wrath, the justice they deserve was taken by them by Christ on the cross. I just want to speak to those that have not repented in this room. Christ's arms are open for you. There is not a sin too great that he has not covered it. Go to him. Run to him. He will accept you in and make you a new creation. But you need to repent. Turn from your sin. Because we know we deserve that righteous judgment. And because we know that we deserved it, we know that you can have it too. Not the judgment, but his righteousness when he died on the cross for you. For those that are in Christ, again, I want to say, look and search your heart for the areas you've conformed to the world and become like Babylon. We know this happens to Israel and those people. Repent of it. His grace still covers you. You are not suddenly outside the fold. That day, you will be with him in glory as well. And it's just a joy to remember that every day we repent. We're made more like him. That each day, we grow to be more like our Savior, which means we're growing to be more like the person we will be on that day. That the person you met when they first believe is now more like Christ than they were when you first met them. Have you told people that yet? Have you looked at somebody in your life and said, hey, you're closer to being that person you will be in glory? Because they are. If they're in Christ and in his word, they should be made more like him. 
And that's a joy because that means they're closer to being that person they are on that day. That should give us great hope and joy. Share with each other. We remember the Lord's righteous judgment and know that a day is coming when we will say hallelujah and that his judgments are just and true. But we also look forward to that day because we will be with him on that day and we will see him in glory and we will feast in the house of Zion. That's going to be an amazing day. And even the judgments, which now may feel like painful and we may feel some hurt because it is someone we love and we just want them to know that, we will also say hallelujah because we'll see him face to face. We will be perfected and we will know him as our God. So remember, Christ's judgment was served for us on the cross and that his righteousness now covers you. And so you can look forward to that day. And you know others can too while he delays. So go and make disciples of all the nations. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm just overwhelmed for what you have done for us on the cross, Lord, that you lived the perfect life, Lord, that you died the death that was deserved for me, Lord, and you rose again in newness of life and offer that to me, Lord. I just thank you and praise you for it. I pray that everyone in this room would know that, would know that newness of life, would know that your death has covered them, Lord, and that those that may be afraid to come to you now would just Repent of their sins, Lord, and in humility, submit to your lordship now. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that that day will be a great day, that we long for our Jerusalem, Lord, that day that we will be with you face to face. Oh, how great that day will be, Lord. We joyfully cannot wait for it, and we hasten it, Lord. We say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, because we want to know you. We want to be apart from sin, Lord. We just want to be in those perfected places, Lord. But as you delay, Lord, I pray that we would evangelize, that we would continue to pray and weep over those that do not know you, Lord, that they may turn to you and taste and see that you are good. Pray all this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.